Psalm 119, starting at verse 41 to 48. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproaches me, for I trust in thy word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have for I have hoped in thy judgments. So shall I keep thy law continually, forever and ever, and I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings, and will not be ashamed. And I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved. And I will meditate in thy statues. I recommend you to keep your Bibles open as we go a little bit back and forth in this Psalm 119. And of course, especially this section. Let us ask for God's help. Mighty God, once again we come before the throne of grace. Father, we... We come before you to ask you, Father, will you be with your spirit among us to um, um, help us see what we need to see from this passage we just read about, Father. I pray you give me clarity to speak, give us understanding to know and believe your word. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. So as I said, it has been a while, so I will give a brief introduction of this Psalm 119. Um, some of you have heard this two times already maybe or three but this psalm is the longest psalm of all of them of the psalm 119 of all the psalms uh, because this one has 176 verses in it the psalm is arranged in acrostic pattern and there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet and this psalm contains, contains 22 units of eight verses each. Each of the 22 sections is given to a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And each line in that section begins with, a letter, with that letter. Now the author is unnamed, but some say it's a psalm of David. Since this is a psalm glorifying God and his word, it refers to scripture over and over again. The psalm is remarkable for how often it refers to, the, uh, to God's written revelation, his word. The word of God is in one way or another mentioned in every verse except the 122nd verse. This psalm underscores the sufficiency of God's word. Now we see the following words for the word of God in this psalm. And there are many. The word law is used 25 times in this psalm. We see the word testimonies 23 times. We see the word ways 13 times. We see precepts 21 times. We have the word statues also 21 times. We see the word commandments 22 times. And lastly, judgments 
23 times. So today we are looking at the sixth stanza, starting with the Hebrew letter Vau or V. Now this letter, this letter doesn't have a meaning like the letters Aleph or Bet, the first and the second stanza, but it's actually a conjunction like the word and. Conjunctions are words used to connect sentences or ideas together. Now, this Hebrew letter looks like a nail or a hook or a peg because of its shape. Conjunctions connect words and ideas, while nails connect physical things together. So when every verse in this section starts with the word and, now you won't find it in all the verses in the English version, but in Hebrew it is, it looks like this, and let thy mercies come, and so shall I have, and take not thy word, and so on and so on. It builds on each other, he could say. So when we look at this portion of scripture, we see again, like in previous stanzas, that the life of the author and also the life of a Christian is not always easy. Life is a spiritual warfare. We will at times be tossed back and forth through the waves of life. But the promises of God are the weapons of a warfare equipping us for victory against the host of enemies of our souls that we encounter. Temptation may pull us to sin. Our faith in God may be shaken, even for the most mature believers. John Newton so famously wrote, Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. This grace hath brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me home. Newton presented in this hymn, Amazing Grace, some practical, everyday truths. If you read his life story, you will find he wrote this uh, you'll find that he wrote this heartfelt hymn to the agony of personal experience. Not only did he know the perils that accompanied a sailor's life, he also knew what it was to face the dangers, toils, and snares of the spiritual realm. He suffered before coming to Christ because of his sin. Then he suffered after coming to Christ as a result of his pursuit of God. And so for us, these dangers, toils, and snares come from the battles that rage against us through the devil, the world, and even our own flesh. And these are the realities we see in this Psalm 119, where the writer is a God-fearing man who loves the Lord and is committed to the word of God and yet is often afflicted on every side. So if you go back with me to verse 9, we see that the author of this psalm deals with a young man's temptations, something he and many others may struggle with to lead a pure and upright life. Look at verse 22. 
where he is the object of reproach and contempt of the enemy. Look at verse 23. Princes, people in high position, plot and speak against him. In verse 25, we see him down and out. He cannot lift himself up. His saw cleaves to the dust. Verse 37. He asks God to refocus his eyes because he sees the things of this world, the riches, honors, and pleasure of it. Pleasures of it. It's all vanity. Look at verse 39. He is under much reproach and mockery from his enemies. And it is all because he believes the word of God. Verse 42, we see the attacks continue, but he will give an answer to him who reproaches him because he trusts in God's word. And lastly, in verse 46, although he receives much opposition following the Lord's commands, he will not be ashamed, he said. And so will it be for any believer in Christ who follows the word of God. For some, the cost of following our Lord is higher than others. But there will be a cost. So let's look at uh, a first verse, verse 41. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation, according to thy word. So it, let, it says, let it come to me. Let thy mercies be applied so that I can claim them and rejoice in them. Now we see that the writer is already a believer. He acknowledges here that mercies and salvation come from God to man through the word of God. The word of God doesn't merely point us towards mercy and salvation as if it were a self-help book. It actually brings mercy and salvation to us. And note that it says, let thy mercies come, plural, many mercies. So this prayer is a prayer of deep anxiety and longing after we have seen what his life is like so far, including that he knows that he is a sinner and feels his need for mercy. And so our following verses in this section of scripture will reveal to us his love and affliction, sorry, affection for God's word. And through the gift of the mercies of the Lord, he not only received redemption from sin, death, and hell, but also pardon, peace, and freedom. And this will cause him, cause him to endure any trials or tribulations and worship him even more. Now, mercies can be translated as loving kindness, as in Psalm 36, verse 7. It says, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of man put their trust under the shadows, shadow of thy wings. As a result of receiving the loving kindness of God, it will cause us to trust the Lord as our shepherd. It says in Psalm 23, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. 
He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table, a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Thou anoints my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely, and here it is, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord, our shepherd, may not take away the difficult circumstances in our lives, but will bring mercies to his sheep. Now he goes on to say in verse 42, So shall I have an answer for him that he approaches me, for I trust in thy word. When we think of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son, he prayed in, verse, in Psalm uh, 3, Lord, how, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and a lifter up of my head. So we see David, just like the psalmist, and who knows, maybe I the same, declares that he trusts in God's word for providing an answer to those who reproach him. And we can say with him, I trust in thy word, in Christ, his, his essential word, the object of trust and confidence. Or you could say also, in the written word, it being divinely inspired and dictated by the Spirit of God. And so, to depend on it as true and faithful. It is God's word of promise concerning mercy, grace, and salvation. And it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Or with Peter in 1 Peter 3, Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Then the writer goes on to pray in verse 43. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. He prays, do not take it entirely or altogether from me. Let me not utterly hopeless. Let me, let me be at no time without some evidence that your word dwells in me with sustaining and sanctifying power. The prayer seems to have been offered when his mind was troubled and in doubt. And when it seems as if all hope and all trust in the truth of God would vanish. But he will not deny the word of truth or be ashamed to own the, and confess it before man. But at all times and upon all uh, occasions, publicly declare it and his faith in in it at least he desires that it might not utterly cease from him 
And he says in this verse, for I have hoped in thy judgment. And the word judgment refers to the word of God, the doctrines of it, which the psalmist had an uh, exceeding great regard for, hope in, and waits for, and even longs for. Some other insight uh, for this verse is that this prayer request is rooted in the understanding that it is only by the goodness and the grace of God that his word dwells in us. Therefore, the prayer comes that it may continue so without compromise. When we are full of the truth of God's word, we could say, like Luke 6, verse 45, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So when we pray, verse 42 and 43, we can trust God to give in all circumstances strength and confidence to give a bold confession of him. Yes, we also need to receive wisdom to know when as well as what to speak. But a stammering confession is better than no confession. Romans 10. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, look at the following verses, starting at 44. You see the beginnings of those verses start with, I shall or I will in it. Now, the psalmist almost sounds arrogant or over self-confident to think that he is able to be fully obedient. But no, it is because of his great confidence given by the Lord, in the Lord, received out of the word to sustain him and trust in him as Savior and to hope in God. With the word hidden in his heart, he can say with confidence, I shall keep thy law continually. I will walk at liberty. I will speak thy testimonies. I will delight myself in thy commandments. I will Lift up my hands to worship you. Although on this side of heaven we cannot keep the law of God perfectly, but in heaven we will, without sin, without sorrow, without weariness, without end. Our text says, forever and ever. Now we are still being taught to obey and follow our Lord and often through hardships. And may it be in those times that it will deepen our relationship and trust in the Lord. With his help, we persevere. And this leads us into the next text, uh, verse, uh, verse 45. And I will walk at liberty for I seek thy precepts. The word liberty here in Hebrew means wide or broad or large or spacious. The meaning 
is that he would feel he was free. He would not be restrained by evil passions and corrupt desires, but feel free to live within the bounds of God's perfect precepts. The verse is connected to that which goes before, for it begins with the word and, which acts as a hook to attach it to the preceding verses. It mentions uh, another of the benefits expected from the coming of the mercies of God. The writer, the man of God, had with confidence silenced his enemies because he could give an answer, in verse 42, and received the power to give a testimony, verse 43, and persevere in holiness, perseverance in holiness, verse 44, and now he dwells upon liberty. On liberty, one commentator said, now liberty would be, a danger, would be dangerous if a man were seeking himself or his own lusts. But when the one object sought after is the will of God, there can be no need to restrain the searcher. We don't need to restrict the man who can say, I seek thy precepts. Observe here in the preceding verse 44, he said he would keep the law, but here he speaks of seeking it. Does he mean that he will obey what he knows and endeavor to know it no more? Is not this the way of the highest form of liberty, to be always laboring to know the mind of God and to be conformed to it? Those who keep the law are sure to seek it and stir themselves to keep it more and more. End quote. Or this one from Spurgeon. Saints find no bondage in sanctity or holiness. The spirit of holiness is a free spirit. He sets men at liberty and enables them, them to resist every effort to bring them under subjection. The way of holiness is not a track for slaves, but the king's highway for free men. But see it also in scripture, in 2 Corinthians, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. When we look at um, verse 32 of this Psalm 119, it reads, I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt when thou shalt enlarge my heart. So this verse 32 is very closely uh, related to the theme of liberty, to make broad or room, having his heart enlarged with the love of God and fear of him and with spiritual joy and having received the grace to exercise it. And he not only walks in it, but he runs the way of God's commandments. That is what the word of God does when applied to our daily lives. Obedience and a pursuit of God's word and wisdom leads to liberty. But on the flip side, disobedience, rejection of God's word, and reliance on your own wisdom lead to bondage. 
and therefore being an, an ensla enslaved to sin. On which side are you on? This leads me uh, to point us all to the infinite cost at which liberty and redemption was purchased. And we heard it this morning in the LBC as well. But from Romans 6.23 it says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me be very frank here. Outside of Christ, we all had an eternal death sentence. That's right. You and I were on death row. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because of our sins, you and I were in a path to be eternally separated from the very presence of God. This was the eternal penalty penalty or liability of our sin. With our sins, we offended the holy God. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. Paul states in the second half of this 23rd verse of Romans 3, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Believer, Christ Jesus paid for all of your sins on that cruel cross of Calvary. He took away your death sentence. The penalty you and I deserved has been removed and now have eternal life. Romans 3, continu Romans 3 continues, 24 and 25, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God had set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed, it says in John 8. When you are born again by the Spirit of God, you are free indeed. But when you are not, you are not free. You are still a slave to sin and in bondage of the world. So for anyone here who, who doesn't believe, it is written in the book of Mark, chapter 1, repent of your sin and believe the gospel. Likewise in Acts 2, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins and you may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But when we are set free, then the next verse will speak to us. Verse 46. I will speak of their testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. This is an example of the liberty just mentioned. To have now the boldness and the ability to speak freely of God and his great word before kings and the great man of this earth shows true liberty. Take Peter before and after Pentecost. Before the crucifixion, Peter denied Jesus three times. 
But after the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, Peter proclaimed very freely and boldly Jesus' name. Or Stephen's great speech before the council in Acts 7. The Apostle Paul spoke freely and testified about Jesus before Felix, the governor, and to Festus, and later to King Agrippa, Agrippa in the books of Acts as well. Paul wrote, So as much as in me, uh, as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God into salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jews first, also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from the faith, from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Likewise, during the Reformation, many gave their lives for standing on the word of God. Like John Knox, John Knox saw, saw how important it is for the church to do what the Bible said and not just what they thought was right. He wasn't afraid to stand up to anyone, even kings and queens, for what he knew was right. His preaching was used by God to transform the whole of Scotland. God had not given them the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, it says in Second Timothy. Here's a question for us. Are we ready to give a testimony for Jesus? Even if you know that you may be laughed at or shunned or persecuted or that it may even cost you life? We are not likely to be brought before kings and rulers to witness, but we need no less divine help and faith to withstand the enemy and not be ashamed lastly um, let us um, look at the closing two verses in this stanza verse 47 and 48 and I will delight myself in thy commandments which I have loved my hands also will, will I lift up unto thy commandments which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statues. Oh, what a great passion we read of in those verses. Not only to say, I will, as we have seen several times in our text, but also to practice them. We see at least three things that flow from his life. Liberty, confidence, and delight. These are blessings of the obedient life. Blessings not earned by our obedience, but simply enjoyed by those of us who will keep his law continually. And we heard that very thing this morning during the LBC as well. And twice we see, which I have loved, the strength and the depth of the psalmist's love for God's word is impressive. The love is manifested not only in the feeling of delight, but also in an expression of delight or rejoicing. It reads, My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments. He lifts up his hands, and with his voice 
give expression of joy. Now his mind is never far away from the word, so his life may be guided by it. His mind is never far away from the word, so that he is able to give a defense for the hope that, that he has in him with meekness and fear. His mind is never far away from the word, so that he will delight in the Lord. That this may be real and true for all of us here as well. That our lives may be characterized by it. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Wherein he had made us accepted in the beloved. In whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Amen. Let us, let us pray. O oh Father, let thy mercies come to us through your word, through your spirit. Father, that he may rejoice in your love given through Christ for the saving work on the cross. Father, now we have, we can live in hope and freedom and joy. Father, help us never to take that for granted. But it did cost. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.